Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, I was halfway through preparing an entirely different message. Uh, and on Thursday, I just felt this prompting of the Spirit. I, he kept bringing to my mind uh, the benediction that we say most every week at our church when you leave. Do you, do you know it? Do you, do you remember it? If you've been around here, we say, may the, yeah, and may the love of the Father, love of God, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. We, we, we pray that over each other every single week. And I just had this, this gnawing voice in my, in my spirit say, I want, you to, I want you to preach the benediction as you close nearness month. And so I kind of scrapped the other uh, thing I was, I was working on. We'll do that in the future. And, and I, I, I got asking the Lord, you know, why, why preach this benediction? I started to think about what was going on when Paul actually wrote these words. He, he writes it at the very end of his letter to the church in Corinth. He actually, we have two letters to, to the church in Corinth. Uh, they believe that maybe Paul might have even wrote one before that, that there might be three, some even say maybe four letters, but we have two in the Bible. And this is the last one, and he ends his letter with this prayer, this benediction. Now, he had said a lot of things up until this point. If you Like all of Paul's letters, uh, they're deep, they're thick. Even Peter himself said he's hard to understand. Uh, it's, it's rich stuff. And he spends usually his first half of his letter doing kind of deep theology. Do you understand the gospel? And then he usually turns a page and it turns into application, a Christian lifestyle. But at the end of this letter, and this is kind of the last thing we know that Paul said to these Christians, he prays this prayer over them. And I, I got thinking about it and I thought, what a wise thing to do at the end of this letter. Have you ever maybe prayed or been prayed for, and then you turned around in hindsight and you looked at that prayer and you realized that was a loaded prayer? Have you ever had somebody, maybe a saint, somebody that was walking with you or helping guide you in your faith, and you asked them to pray for something and they didn't actually pray for the thing you asked. They prayed something else and then later on you look back and you're like, I see what you did there. I think this is one of those loaded prayers that... Paul, it's as though he took his whole message and he said, I know you're going to spend a lifetime unpacking the mysteries of the gospel. You're going to spend a lifetime unpacking what it means to be a Christian and how to follow him and all the do's and don'ts and the things that we're supposed to apply to our lives. But if you get nothing else, here's what I'm going to pray for you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit go with you. I got thinking about it in relationship to, to Nearness Month and how we've been talking about we want, wanting to draw near to God. And we've been using different strategies. We've talked about confession and repentance. We've talked about spending time with him, consecration. we talked about unity. And all of these things help us draw near. But Paul has some wisdom for us here at the end of his letter. Here's what I'm convinced of. And this is why I think God wanted me to just touch on this really quickly today. That our lives are not a matter of learning to simply draw near to God, but the fruitfulness, the fullness of our life with God is actually a matter of not just drawing near, but staying near. And living in a constant relationship with Almighty God. 
And Paul prays this lifestyle prayer over these Christians. And I want us to think about it as we kind of close nearness month. You know what would be a mistake for us? To look back and just say, you know, we spent a month drawing near to God and then we went about our normal day-to-day business. And I'll tell you what, it is very easy as a Christian to fall into seeing God and seeing our faith as more of an application that we apply once in a while. You know how you open your phone up and you press an app that you need? But that's not actually what we signed up for. Jesus is not some app for betterment in in times of trouble. It's actually a full lifestyle that we're invited to live, enveloped in the reality and the presence of the living God. And so to, to end Nearness Month, I want us to change the title, and we're going to call it Nearness Life. If we could just stay near, that is the challenge of our lives, and that's why Paul prayed, may you be enveloped in your mind, in your heart, in your day-to-day living by the reality of the living God. May he not just be some concept you thought about for a month. May he not just be some practices and principles that you apply to your life. May he not just be a set of ideas, but may his reality envelop the totality of your life. That's what Paul is getting at here. And he breaks it down for us. And I want us to just spend a few minutes breaking down this prayer that we pray over each other every single week. Now, some of you kids, you teenagers who are at OneCon, I touched on these at OneCon, but I felt God just kind of nudge me to say, this is really a framework for how you and I are invited to live our lives with God. Like if you want Christian living in a nutshell, it's right here in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. So let's break it down. Are you with me? All of our locations, so just the three things. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. How do we live our lives enveloped in God? Let's break down the first one. Let's say it together. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may it be with you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, Paul uses this word. It's a word you see a lot in Christian circles, of course, because our entire faith is built on this word, the grace of Jesus. It's the Greek word charis. It's where we get the, the, the term like charity. It's, it means favor. It means God's unmerited favor on our behalf. That's what charis means. It's his unearned Favor. It's his unearned efforts. It's his unearned mercy and blessing and power on our behalf. That's what grace means. What does grace mean? The best, the most common example is unmerited favor. It's what God does for us that we cannot do or cannot earn ourselves. That's what grace is. So what's your job with grace? Just receive it. It's nothing you do. It's something that God does. It's a gift. It's not your power. It's not your ability. And Paul says, may the grace not of Oprah or Deepak Chopra or Barack Obama or somebody other name who ends with ah, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we want his grace to be with us. May his grace be with us. Now, what is the grace of Jesus? Well, cast your mind, like it says in the the song, cast your mind to Calvary. The good news of Jesus is that God, who is, we, we said it earlier in our service, God who is so rich in mercy, 
did not count our sins against us, but he actually put on flesh and bore our punishment and bore our shame on a cross. And he poured out his blood so that we can be forgiven, redeemed, reconciled, ransomed, restored to God. That is the gospel, the good news of God's grace, that at infinite cost to God, he paid our infinite debt. And he made us right with God. That should get somebody saying a little amen in our hearts. Somebody who needs to be reminded. And I'll tell you what, as a Christian, how often do I just start to slip into this kind of workspace mentality that I need to kind of appease God and keep him happy? No. God has already done the work on my behalf. I need to rest in his grace for me. Can I get an amen? And so Paul is talking about the grace, the, the reality of God's grace be with you. Now, when Paul talks about this, he's talking not just about something that is happening, but something that has happened. This should draw your mind back to Easter. Easter was an event where Jesus died on the cross for our sins, bore our shame, broke the powers of sin and darkness, defeated the enemy, disarmed the rulers and authorities and principalities of darkness, and then rose again in victory. No big deal. And then he said... All authority in heaven and on earth has now been given to me, therefore go in that. Now, why am I saying this? Because, and this is what Paul is getting at, the grace of Jesus is not just some balm or elixir that we apply to our lives when we realize we need it. It's not advice or a prescription on a shelf. The grace of Jesus is a present reality that we live under. When someone gives you news and says, this has happened, what happens with that? Well, you either believe it or don't believe it. And if you believe it, you live according to that belief, correct? Well, the gospel of Jesus is news. A lot of the time we treat it like advice, don't we? Like a, like a, like a Tony Robbins book that we pull off the shelf to get amped up for life or face those fears. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is something that has happened, a present reality. And Paul is pushing us to understand we actually have to live our lives in the light of what has happened through and in the person of Jesus. Like to live your life that way. Paul is essentially saying in everything, the grace of Jesus Everywhere, the grace of Jesus. Every time, the grace of Jesus. May you see and experience the world, King's Church, through the grace of Jesus. May you see and experience yourself, King's Church, through the grace of King Jesus. May you see and experience your past through the grace of Jesus. Can I get an amen? May you see and experience your present in all the troubles and trials and afflictions and struggles and shame through the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus. Yes. So if, if I could wrap up or even put my own words to what Paul is praying for us, here's the first thing. May grace, may God's grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus be our mindset. May it become the lens through which we see everything. May his power at work on our behalf be our perspective. The way we see into everything. Well, my assumption is God's working on my behalf. May it be our mindset. May it be our wisdom. May it be our understanding. May his grace be our opinion. May it be our assumption, our conclusion for everything. The invitation, hear this, you cannot 
Look too deeply into grace. And you cannot look too consistently through the lens of grace. Look, this is what Paul said earlier in his message to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we've got to stop evaluating others from a human point of view. Don't even look through, don't even look at anybody or anything through the old lens. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. We've seen something we can't unsee. Therefore, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is what? Really gone. Like gone, gone. The Greek word here means gone. (laughs) And a new life has begun. And all of this is a what? Yeah. Grace. It's a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people back to him. Do you see it? That the grace of the gospel, the reality of Christ crucified and risen and king and coming again, frames how we see everything. This is so important, I feel like I'm more excited than you. <laughs> I think about it like this. This is, this is maybe a crude analogy, but it works. Uh, I was at a movie with my kids. Uh, Aiden was probably Five, Ava would have been seven, maybe even younger, maybe six and six and four, because Alex wasn't born yet. And we went to a movie, I don't remember what it was, some Pixar film, it was 3D. And when you sit in a 3D movie and you can read, what happens? Before the movie goes into 3D, there's a thing that comes up on the screen that says, put on your, put on your 3D glasses now. Now who knows, these are the OG 3D glasses. It's from back in the day. And when you put them on, you can then see, you can see the screen and you can see the movie as it was designed to be seen, correct? You with me? But I'm sitting there, you're just like, those glasses look so silly on you. <laughs> Go with me for a minute. Pastor Adam told me I need to do more, more like props, so I'm trying, I'm trying, <laughs> Pastor Adam. I always joke with Adam, carrot top, back again, pulling out, of the, out the stuff. Uh, so I'm sitting there, though, and, and we're watching this movie. And about five minutes in, I look over, and, and Aiden, he's, he's just a little boy. And he's, he's, his head's tilted, and he's squinting his eyes, trying to see. And I realized, parenting fail, uh, my four-year-old can't read. And he did not get the memo that you're supposed to put your glasses on. And so I reached over, and I put the glasses on. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh. And he can see like deep into the movie and this whole world just pops because he put on the glasses. And this is a crude image, but this helps us understand that the gospel of Jesus is supposed to be this lens that we apply over our thinking and over how we see. And when we do, things that were distorted become clear. And things that were like limited in our understanding, we get more depth, we get the mind of Christ, and we start to see things different, and it changes everything. Like when you put on the gospel, and you put on these gospel glasses, it starts to shape and restore and define how you see absolutely everything. It changes how you see yourself. Like when you look in the mirror, I got another prop, Adam, you're loving this. (laughs) Let's see if we can do this on, on... on the, oh yeah, there, uh, uh, there, right in the, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, there we go, there we go. So, so when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Well, when you put on, these look really small on me, that's why you're laughing. With my big head. 
When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Well, without the glasses, I see somebody who's made a lot of mistakes. I see someone who's pretty limited. I see someone who fails time and time again. I see somebody who's often afraid. I see somebody who's, who gets ashamed, who gets scared, who gets selfish, who gets insecure. But when we put on the grace of God, well, I no longer see shame. I see his righteousness. I see somebody who is clothed in holy, righteous glory. I see someone who's been bought with a price. I see someone who's valuable. I don't see my past. I see his glory. I see the cross. Like when you look in the mirror through the grace of God, it changes everything. Your sins are no longer counted against you. Who do you see when you look in the mirror? Do you feel regret? Put on those glasses, you should feel redeemed. Amen? Do you feel ashamed and unwanted? You put on the gospel glasses and you apply it. The gospel says, oh, you are deeply wanted and you are clothed in glory. Not by anything you did, but because of God's free gift of grace. grace. Yes. Y'all, I'm harping on something that's very basic, but it is so hard to hold tightly to. We so easily take the glasses off and start looking back at the world through things other than grace. And Paul says, may you go in the grace of God. May you look at yourself through God's lens of grace. May you look at others through the lens of grace. If I take these glasses off, I see everyone's faults or I see people as threats, correct? But when you put on the gospel glasses and you see other people, all of a sudden you see somebody who God dearly loves. You see somebody who God's not done yet with. Like at CR, I love CR because CR puts these glasses on and to a group of people that are hopelessly addicted, we see, ah, actually, God's not done with you. He's gonna do great and mighty things in your life. He's gonna set you free and he's gonna restore you and you're gonna have a testimony. You're gonna show other people what it means to walk in freedom because of God's grace. We see people differently. Oh, what about this? We see the world differently. We see the region differently. We see a part of the country that God says, I dearly love Atlantic Canada. Oh, you don't even have a clue how deeply God wants to pour himself out in Halifax or in Charlottetown. He is absolutely in love with this region. It changes how you see things, King's Church. We no longer see things from a worldly point of view. We see it through the lens of grace. So Paul says this, may you be absorbed by the grace of Jesus. May you not be able to unsee him and unsee everything with him. How have you been looking at yourself lately, or others lately, or the world lately? May the grace of King Jesus be with you. Have your life enveloped in grace. Number two, may the grace of the Lord Jesus, and say it with me, the love of God. So he talks about grace, and then he moves to love. Now I love, and it's so helpful, how Paul took the time to parse out his prayer just enough to help us get the full scope of Christian living. He didn't just say, all right, Corinthians, may God be with you. Go with God, did he? He actually brought in this Trinitarian approach, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and he broke down different ways we apply it to our lives. And first, he appealed to our minds, correct? Like the way, the news in which we live, the reality in which we live is grace. But now he's appealing to something different. He's appealing to your heart. How many of you have lived long enough to know that your mind and your heart both believe things and they're not always lined up? Is that true? 
Like, like, look in your pantry and you will know that that's true. <laughs> Correct? Like, like you, you know that when you go home right before bed and you crack it open and you, op- you open the Doritos and some Oreos, you know that that is not good for you. You know, yes, but my heart loves it. <laughs> right? That's a fact. I mean, the, the, the tobacco industry... They're still thriving, even with the teeth on the, on the package, right? Like, like, this is going to do this to you. And you're like, yep, <laughs> right? Like, because I love it. The, the heart also believes things and desires things. It's not just a matter of your mind. And I have learned in my life that the heart is even more powerful than your mind. Like uh, Rene Descartes said, I think, therefore I, that's kind of true. It's actually, I love, therefore I am. Because you're going to follow what your desires are, even more than what you know to be good. And so Paul now, he appeals not just to your mindset, but to the, to, the, to the reality of your heart, and that you would know the love of God. And here's how I would put this next point. So may God's grace be your mindset, and now may you be anchored in the love of God. May his love anchor you. May you be rooted in the love of God. The love of God. Why? Why is love such an important thing for Paul to highlight? Why does he do it? Because when you know you are loved by God, come what may in your life, the love of God is the secret to contentment, courage, and confidence in your life. If you know that you are loved by God, you will be content and confident in every season. Period. This is, this is why Paul hit on this. Knowing his love is the key to life. John, the apostle, who called himself the one that Jesus loved, he wrote at length about the love of God. In fact, if you read his gospel, the gospel of John, a lot of people call it the gospel of love, that he really focuses on the love of God in his gospel. It was like in uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. Do you know that you're loved? Over and over again, Paul or John demonstrating this. And he said it in one of his letters. He said it like this. See how very much our Father, what? Loves us. For he calls us his children. His children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Do you see that John is saying the differentiator between The children of God and children of the world is simply knowledge that God loves us. That when your heart knows that God loves you, it sets you free from fear. Look what what John says next page, John chapter 4. He says, such love has what? No fear. When you know you are a child of God, it sets you free from fear. This is why Paul prayed, may the love of God be with you. Why? Because he's like, I don't know what you Corinthians are going to face. Probably going to face persecution. Just the regular hardships of life, family struggles, sickness, illness, all the things. So may you know, come what may, God loves you and remain set free from fear. Such love has no fear because perfect love, the perfect love of of the Father, expels all fear. 
Literally, when you know the love of God, it expels fear. So anytime, brothers, sisters, anytime you find yourself afraid or anxious, your heart deep down does not believe you are God's child and he's good and he's got you. Period. Anytime. So, so when I get afraid, my prayer needs to be deeper than God, help me not be afraid. It's God, reveal to my terrified heart that God Almighty is not just for me, he loves me. And it cuts away the bondage of fear. If we are afraid, look what he says, it's for fear of punishment or pain. And this shows that we have not fully what? Experienced. So it's not even something you need to know in your head. It's something that needs to be revealed experientially in your heart, like the revelation of the heart. This is why Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be illuminated, that you'd experience and you'd know his perfect love. This is, this is tough to preach about because you just sound like a bumbling idiot. But if you've ever had an encounter with the love of God, all I can say is, if you know, you know. Am I right? Like, you, you can't really explain it or write it on paper. When you get, like, a holy hug from the Spirit of God and he touches a place in your heart, it just, it just lifts everything away. And this is what Paul and this is what John is getting at, that, that we must operate in a perpetual state of the love of God because it sets us free from fear. Do you know how much of our lives are absolutely directed by fear? How many of the decisions we have, the reactions we have, the priorities we have are ultimately rooted in fear? You know, you hear the term around churches at times, uh, an orphan spirit. Have you ever heard that said before? An orphan spirit is just this idea that we believe in our hearts that's perpetuated by demons and powers and principalities that we're on our own and God does not have our best interest in mind. And so I'm left by myself to fend for myself. I got to make things happen. And it roots itself in a variety of ways. Here, here's just a, a way that you can understand that your life gets plagued by this. And every one of us inside our hearts has a little orphan until we come into a revelation of God, of God's love. This is why Paul said, may the, may the love of God be with you. The orphan spirit plagues us with lies rooted in the belief that, ulti- that we're ultimately on our own and that there's not enough for us. There's always a shortage for the orphan. You are Oliver Twist in the cosmic lineup asking for more porridge. Please, sir, can I have some more? Is that like too old of a reference? Okay, all right. Like dating myself now. But there's a few lies, and it's all rooted in the same thing, in this fear. The orphan spirit. Lie number one, this isn't enough. That God is somehow withholding from me. That there's, there's got to be more than this. That, there's, that the best life is out there, not with him. When we believe this, we become slaves to our cravings and desires. And this is ultimately what we read about in Genesis 3. This is what the devil preyed upon Adam and Eve. When they saw that it was good for eating and he sowed seeds of doubt that, oh, God doesn't want you to enjoy yourself. There's more for you out there. There's more. You got you to taste that tree too. Why would he ask you to not do that? And he sows a seed of doubt that says, I'm missing out. There's got to be something else out there for me. And what it does is it creates self-indulgence, cravings, gluttony, jealousy, materialism, adultery, addiction, 
It's all rooted in an orphan spirit. If you're having trouble controlling yourself, it's because you don't trust God to dispense to you the things you need in your life. And so you're grabbing on to everything that you can, you can indulge yourself with. It's, it's, it's connected to this. Is, this. is this making sense? Lie number two with the orphan spirit. There won't be enough. It's not just that there isn't enough that God's withholding from me, but, but God won't take care of me. I've got to look out for myself. When we believe this, we become slaves to fear and constantly anxious. This is the same, right? Right in Genesis 3, go look at it. The devil's been doing the same trick from the beginning. When they saw that it was pleasing to the eye and good for gaining wisdom, he sowed a seed inside of her mind, in their minds, that said, you can do a better job controlling outcomes. Don't trust God to take care of you. You can take care of yourself. And that's ultimately where we find ourselves even to this day. This is why we struggle with manifestations of anxiety and selfishness and fear and control or bullying or being shut down or holding or, being, or hoarding or being a manipulator. It's all rooted right here. Well, I can't trust God to take care of things. I'm going to have to take care of things myself. It's the same lie, orphan spirit. Or number three, I'm not enough that I can believe that God is good, but God wouldn't want me. And what did they do right after in Genesis 3 when they sinned? It says they made coverings for themselves and felt shame. And so the enemy comes in and tries to sow lies that God couldn't love a sinner like you. God might love some people, but he surely couldn't love you. That's ultimately where the enemy, you want to figure out where the enemy's ultimately attacking you? It's right here. Will you believe that God is good and that he is for you and that he loves you and he's with you and will never leave you or forsake you? Or will you let the enemy call it all into question by looking at the details of your life? Paul says, may you know the love of God. This is why, really quick, do you remember the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told, the parable? I, I feel like you're listening here at the valley. That's why you're being really quiet, right? You're not falling asleep? Okay. Luke 15, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a father who had two sons. The first son asked the father for his inheritance. I'm missing out. Give me what you have for me. I'm getting out of here. There's got to be better things somewhere else. And he goes off and he, Jesus said he squandered his wealth and he, he wasted it. He's a prodigal and he made a huge mess of his life. And then Jesus says, but then he realized his folly and turned back to the father. But he didn't go back to the father. He went back to a master. He was starting to rehearse in his mind. I'm going to go back to my father's house and ask if I can just be a servant. Because surely, like number three, I'm not good enough. He wouldn't want me. But then Jesus said, but the father saw him from a long way off and ran out to him and threw his arms around him, re received him at his own cost, put the cloak of, the, of righteousness on him, put the family ring on his finger and had a huge party for his son was dead and now alive. You know the story. Well, what was the root of the son's problem? He didn't believe that the father was good. He didn't believe first that the father's, the life with the father was the best. And then after he made the mistake, he didn't believe that the father would take him back. And then Jesus goes on and says, but there was also a second son. Do you remember what happened with the second son? He also had an orphan spirit. Said that when the party was happening for the son that had returned, the older son gets ripping, roaring mad and goes and confronts the father and says, how dare you take him back? And he goes, and by the way, all I've done 
my whole life is slave for you and you haven't so much as thrown me the smallest party and now this son of yours comes back and you can't help but just go over the top. And Jesus said, and the father looked at him and said, everything I have is yours. All you had to do was ask. I'm not withholding. And what's the point of the parable? One of the main points is it reveals that all dysfunction in our lives is rooted in a heart that is an orphan, that doesn't believe that the Father is good. But when your heart gets convinced that, the, that God is our Father, that we are children of God, fear and all the dysfunction that comes with it dissipates. This is why Paul prayed, may you be rooted and grounded in love. May, may you, like in Ephesians 3, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened to see how high and how deep and how wide is the love of God the Father. Romans 8, Paul says, may you know that like nothing can separate you from the love of God, neither trouble nor famine nor nakedness or sword, neither height nor depth nor angels or demons or rulers or principalities or authorities. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And he concludes this, and if God is for us, who can be against us? When your heart believes that, it, it absolutely cuts fear away. I was thinking about it recently. I, I bought a little aluminum boat with a little motor on the back, you know, those kind. And uh, I'm like repeating history because my dad had one of those growing, when I was growing up. And me and my dad, some of my youngest memories are boating with my dad uh, out in the St. John River. And he had a little, what was like 12 foot? Was it 12 foot, dad? Dad's on camera one. Was it 12 foot? The little green one with the Viking motor. Anyway, 10 or 12 feet. 9.9 Viking motor on the back, which I learned to water ski behind by some miracle of physics. I, I, I don't know how that's possible. It, can't, it couldn't go more than like 10 miles an hour, and I'm back there. Anyway, we, we used to go out, though, in like very rough water, like just for funsies. And I can remember being like five years old, six years old, and being completely fearless. I can remember getting right up on the bow of the thing, and Dad would go up one wave, and I'd push all my 65 pounds down on the front of the bow to try to get it to go under the wave. And you know what was never a part of the reality while I was out there? Fear. Because my dad was driving. And my dad, at that point in my life, you're still a superhero, Dad, but at that point in my life, my dad was completely invincible. And I think... I, you see where I'm going with this. You know, as you grow, you realize your dad's a human too, and he's got his, his my, my dad's pretty much perfect, but your dad uh, <laughs> is a human too. <laughs> but the illustration works because what we're supposed to think of when it comes to God is when God, when God is captaining the vessel of your life, it doesn't matter how bad the wind is raging or the waves are riding, he's got you. I used to, my dad used to put little life jackets down in front of his feet when we were on long rides and I would just lay down and have a nap when I was like really little. And this is kind of a picture, I think, of what Paul is getting at. May you, may you go in the love of God. And if you know that God loves you, it literally doesn't matter what happens to you because you know the one who holds death in his hands, the one who can speak to the storm and say, peace be still is in control of your life. And it's not just like some boss. He is a father who loves you and has paid infinite, an infinite price to call you his own. That should set you free. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but you have been struggling with anxiety and fear. It's unbelief. At its heart, it's unbelief. 
you don't believe that God is good, that he is with you, and that he is for you, and that he goes before you, and that he can cause all things to come together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. May you go in his love. Final thought. I'm almost done. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the what? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May all three of these things be with you all. Now you see how Paul has this kind of Trinitarian approach. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now the word fellowship here is the word koinonia. Koinonia. And the word koinonia means partnership. It means communion. It means joint participation. May the partnership of the Holy Spirit, may the joint participation of the Holy Spirit be with you. Actually, koinonia is what one of the words we get in the New Testament about the church, that we are a joint partnership together. But Paul is saying, may the partnership of the Holy Spirit be with you. Now let's just recap really quick. I'm almost done. He appeals to our minds, correct? May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May the love of God be with you. So he he appeals to our thinking. He appeals to our hearts, our feeling, correct? Are you with me? And then he appeals to our doing, to how we live and move and operate in this life. So, So if I could use... My own way to kind of contextualize it, I would say Paul is saying, may God's presence be our partner. Now, I know when you hear partner, you hear equals. Do not mistake me. You are not an equal with God. However, and this is the mystery of it all, God invites us to partner with him in real life and in real time every single day. That, that God, that following Jesus, that this Christian life is not just about believing that God has died on the cross and he has made a whole new reality for us to live in, although that's awesome. And it's not just about having a revelation in your heart that God loves you, although you need it. But it's an invitation to a day-to-day joint participation with the person of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship. Uh, One translation says friendship with the Holy Spirit. Paul used language like this, uh, living in step with the Holy Spirit. Look what he says at the end of his letter to the Galatians, and I'm, I'm almost done. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, But those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's not part of the kingdom. But the what? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All these things that the orphan spirit tries to get and accomplish itself is the byproduct of knowing the Holy Spirit. Then watch this. He says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And here's the the main verse I want you to see. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul says, may the love, may the grace of the Lord Jesus, may grace be my mindset, 
May the love of God, may I be anchored in his love. But now the partnership of the Holy Spirit, may we walk and live and move in step with the Spirit. Here's what he's aiming us at. If you will crucify the flesh, what does that mean? It means to deny yourself, your desires, your cravings. If you will deny yourself in deference to the way the Spirit is leading you, what will happen in your life is that you will start sprouting all of this fruit. If you don't learn to crucify the flesh and turn and walk in step with the Spirit, well, all kinds of disorder starts to come. And Paul is inviting us to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, there's, there's two ways to think about this language of in step. Uh, some commentaries use language of like a, like a dance, like the rhythm of a dance, uh, like a waltz. And how we intermingle our lives with the living God and he guides us in rhythm and in step around our lives. And he shows us how to move and where to go. He leads and we follow, but we very much have to actively participate. Now for me, I do not resonate with an illustration of waltzing. Because I'm not a dancer. Well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> There's another gif for you. Is it gif gif? But you can also think of it like this. Some commentaries talk about like in step with the march of the rhythm of a drum. You know, for, for centuries, human beings have gone to war and gone to battle at the rhythm of the sound of a drum. And you walk in lockstep with that beat. And what Paul is inviting us to do is that instead of marching to the beat of my own drum, I learn to march to the beat of the Holy Spirit. And any time our rhythms get out of sync, I stop playing Brent's drum and start listening to the drum of the Holy Spirit. That's very challenging to do, isn't it? However, that is the invitation in which we are called to live our lives, learning to follow the guidance in step with the Spirit. And when we learn to defer to his lead, just don't miss this, and we stay attentive to his voice and obedient to what he said, all kinds of breakthrough and life starts bursting forth in your world. It really does. I know some of you experience this. I had, I had a breakthrough this week, and it, I think the Lord gave me this gift, just not just for my own well-being, but for this message. Like, I was wrestling with the Lord on something. I knew he'd asked me to do something. You know, it was not a big thing, not a big deal. And I kept telling him over and over again, it's not a big deal. Nah, nah, it's not worth that. Anybody ever have those dialogues with God where you do this? Nah, 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 nah. Right? You just try to, like, tune him out. And he kept whispering and whispering and then saying it a little louder, a little more forceful. And I kept telling him it's not a big deal. And he said, what I'm asking you is not a big deal, but that I'm asking you is. What I'm asking you isn't a big deal, but I am asking you. And that's a big deal. And so I, I finally like tapped out and I, I was obedient and I, I did the thing that I felt the Lord was asking me to do. And within an hour of that, I received word of a breakthrough that I've been praying for for months. And I felt the Lord just remind me that there are strings attached to this dance with him. 
And oftentimes our disobedience is only punishing us. And there are things that we leave on the table because we refuse to live in step with the Spirit. But if you can learn to follow Him and defer to Him, He will guide you through challenges. His Word will be a lamp unto your feet. He will produce fruit in your life that no money or success or Facebook likes or friendships can produce. He will do the things for you that you cannot do for yourself as we learn to partner with the Holy Spirit of God. Do you realize how intricately, intricately involved God is and how willing he is to be involved in your life? Do you realize how much power and peace and joy and wisdom and meaning and life and freedom comes from living life in joint partnership with his Holy Spirit? And when there is a tie between your will and his will, you go with his will. That's the invitation. I want you to stand to your feet, all of our locations. I'm going to pray for us. And I want to pray this prayer that Paul prayed over us, over, over the Corinthians. I want to pray it over us. This is a pregnant, loaded prayer in which the entirety of the Christian life can ultimately be summed up in. What does it mean to be a Christian, to follow Jesus? It means I see everything through grace. It means I know that I know that I know I belong to him. And I seek to follow him in real day-to-day living, real-world time every single day. So may I keep his grace for me in mind. May I keep his love for me in my heart. And may I keep his presence with me step by step, day by day. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word and I pray right now over your people. God, I pray that you would give us more clarity on what it means that we are saved by grace. Give us a clearer vision of the cross. Lord, put the glasses of grace on us today. And will we see deeper into things? Will we get some clarity where there's distortion? Will we see reality where there is illusion? God, would you help us? Father, I pray for the one today who's struggling with condemnation. Would they look again in the mirror through the lens of grace and see what you see and see what you did? Father, would you give a, uh, just fill us our minds today with the mind of Christ and the grace of King Jesus. Lord, I pray to, I, I speak to our hearts right now in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would actually open our hearts to see how deep and how high and how wide is the love of God in Christ Jesus. I speak to your heart today. I feel like there's somebody that is struggling and anxious and afraid. And I speak to your heart and I say, if God is for you, who can be against you? See how much the Father loves you that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. And now, Lord, Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. Would you fill us fresh? Would you invade our lives more? Would we hear your voice more clearly? Give us grace to be quick in obedience? Lord, would you even help us understand and trust that you are a way better leader of our lives than we are? And God, I just invite you right now over our church. I invite you for those little small things, 
that you're guiding us step by step. Lord, would you give us grace in those small things? And I just, I just believe over some of us this week, God's going to be speaking to you in areas you never thought he would. And it's going to be in the normal day-to-day stuff that you, he, wa- you, he wants you to discover him. So Lord, we just invite you. Help us keep in step with you today. We pray this in the power and the glory and the name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen.